body. You're, you're glad you can be in church today. Say, yeah, come on. Woo! Happy Easter, everyone. I love Easter. I love seeing everybody all looking pretty and looking nice and doing the deal. And, honey, I can't see. Is Pastor Matt wearing a tie up there? What's going, what's going on right now? I'm telling you, I love Easter, man. I love, I love all that Easter is. I love the fact that our culture, our world actually slows down long enough over this weekend to kind of recognize something. Now, unfortunately, our culture doesn't really know what they're recognizing, doesn't really know, and they think the whole Easter bunny thing and, and you know, the Easter egg deal and all of that. But, you know, here's, here's what I love. I love the fact uh, that Easter sort of represents, even just in our culture, Easter represents for us kind of a new beginning, doesn't it? It represents uh, that, that spring is here. That that's, why, that's why we all got our pastel colors going on today. Because it's like Easter is that time of year where, where we recognize that the winter season is done Come on, somebody. The winter season, thank God, is finally done. I'm telling you, it is so miserable living in Florida where it's so cold all winter long. And we've all been whining and complaining. My friends up north are like, just shut up. Just shut up, dude. Just shut up. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I've lived here eight years. This is the coldest winter. Click. They don't understand. They don't understand what it's like to be us, do they? Can I get an amen? Okay, so anyway, like I love, I love Easter. I love that, that it represents the fact that the water's finally warm enough to swim. <laughs> I love, I love that, that Easter is, is kind of the changing of the season. And I know for a lot of us, we, we really feel that way this year. That we feel like, you know, the winter season that we've been in, and again, here in Florida, it has been longer than we're, than we're used to. But that this winter season is finally gone, and that spring has finally come. You know, as I, was, I was thinking about this over the last few weeks in preparation for today. I couldn't help but think about the fact that there are probably a lot of us who are listening today who look back over our, the past several months or even several years of our life, and if we had to categorize it as something, we would categorize it as a, as a winter season. We look back, and, and for whatever reason that has brought it all on, we, we would see that the last season of our life is, has been cold and has been dark, and, and we feel like there hasn't been a lot of sunshine. We, we feel like maybe for, for, for the reason that maybe we lost a, a relationship or we, we lost a, a job, we got downsized, we got let go, we lost a home, we lost our, our 401K. I, I don't know. I don't know what's brought it on, but I'm guessing that... Today, there are many of us, many of us listening today who, who would look back over the, the past season of our life and describe it as a winter season. And you know, it's interesting because, of course, the message of Easter, when you trace it all the way back, goes way beyond Easter bunnies or Easter eggs. The message of Easter goes back to a man named Jesus who was living in Nazareth, who was living in, in Jerusalem, living in in Israel. And when you rewind the story about 2,000 years to, to the time that Jesus was alive on the earth, you begin to recognize that, that, the, that the world was in a, a winter season of sorts during that time. That, that you look at the, the political system of the day when Jesus was alive. It was going crazy. That, that it, Politics and, and manipulation and just the whole system was just going crazy. The economic system of Jesus' day was dark, it was jaded, it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't okay. 
And even the religious system of Jesus' day was calloused and, and, and corrupt. The world that Jesus was alive in was living in a winter season. And it's interesting because this winter season that their culture, their day and age was going through much the same as what many of us feel like we've been walking through. It was so dark. It was, it was so, so jaded. It was so cloudy. It was so foggy that even when a, a, a new voice rose up, even when, even when this, this new prophet, this, this, this Messiah, this, this Jesus from Nazareth rose up with this message of, of life different, of, uh, the message of hope, a message of, of eternal salvation, a message of relating to God differently than they had ever thought about relating to God before, that when this voice of positive, when this voice of hope rose up, the, the system of the day was so dark, the season was such a winter season that the one voice that actually had something hopeful to say they actually killed of course we know that all of that culmination of darkness sort of came together on what has become known as good friday or originally was known as black friday and in matthew in the bible we we find an account of that where the religious leaders of the day have this jesus arrested in a garden while he's praying one night. And all through the night, then they take him from one trial to the next, to the next, to the next, until the next morning, finally, uh, the judge who was, who was trying him, the governor of the day, finally looks at the people and gets so fed up, and he says, fine, you know what? Do whatever you want with him. I'm done with this. I wash my hands of this. You deal with it. And so the mob decided that they were going to crucify this one who was bringing hope, this one who was bringing a new message, a, a new way of relating to God. The, the system was so dark, the season, was such a winter season that they led him out to a hill called Golgotha or the place of the skull and they made him carry his own cross and when they got to the place of the skull they laid him on it and they nailed nails into his hands and his feet and they crucified Jesus Matthew chapter 27 records the account. It says in verse 45, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness. The world had entered the culmination of the winter season. Darkness came over all the land. Verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 50, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And what you and I know is Good Friday, 2,000 years ago, was the world's darkest hour. If ever there was a winter season, this was it. So they take Jesus' body down from the cross. They lay it in a tomb and they roll this humongous stone in front of it. And for 24 hours, silence, darkness, winter. Then, on Sunday morning, 
as Matthew 27 turns into Matthew 28, we see the account of the first Easter. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 says this, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Verse 2, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, I love this part, and sat on it. When God wants to make a point, he sits down. Love it. Verse 3, his appearance, speaking of the angel, was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. They passed out. The angel said to the women, look at this, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Guess what? He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Woo! Yeah! He is risen. He is risen. Come and see the place where he lay. Verse 7, then go and tell the disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And then I love it. The angel gets a little cocky right here. Told you. I love it. What's going on here? Here's what's going on on that first Easter morning. Some 2,000 years ago when the world had reached the culmination of the darkest moment of the winter season that the world has ever known. Jesus defied the odds. Jesus, the one true God, who's the only God who's ever been crucified, dead, buried, read, chose to be resurrected on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, and when he did, the winter season was broken off and finally taken care of once and for all, and spring had arrived, and God said, I'm alive, I'm alive. He's risen, church. Woo! Yeah, okay. So here's what you got to know. I want you to understand something. Listen, if you have been walking through a winter season in your life, and I know that you can't get this many people together in one place and not have several of us, perhaps hundreds of us, who've been walking through a season of darkness, a winter season where we feel like we're walking in a daze, we're walking in a cloud, we feel like we can't see the forest for the trees. Listen, if you've been walking in a winter season, I want you to know something. This is Easter Sunday. And there is an awakening that has come to the world today. There is an awakening that has come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is still available. The same God who was resurrected 2,000 years ago is the same God who can be resurrected and bring his resurrection power into your life and into my life today. There can be an awakening in our souls today. There can. See, the resurrection has the power to transform us. When you, when, you, when you look at the resurrection and all that Jesus did, it's so easy for us to, to take it for granted. It's so easy for us who know the story, who, who, are, who, are, who are very familiar with Bible study, to read the, these passages, to read these verses, and miss the magnitude of what's happening. But I want you to know something. The resurrection of Jesus has the power to transform you and me. That's the kind of God 
We serve the one true God, the only living God, a God who's not bound to a statue, a God who's not bound to, to mysticism and whatever. No, 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 no. We serve the one true God, and his name is Jesus, and he's the only one ever in history. You can look, you can study, you can try and find it, but Jesus is the only one ever in history who has risen from the dead and won the ultimate victory, and the resurrection has the power to transform your life and my life today. It's interesting because when you, when you put the, the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four uh, books in the Bible that, that talk about and record the, the ministry and life of Jesus, when you begin to study them in parallel, when you put them side by side by side, it's interesting because each one of them takes a, a different camera angle, if you will, on the events of the resurrection. It, it's, like, it's like standing at an intersection, and if there are four people standing at in an intersection looking into that intersection, each one of them, from their viewpoint, will have a different angle on, on the events that occur in the intersection. Well, that's what happens in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in terms of this resurrection account. And so when you study Matthew's account, it's interesting because he mentions that on, on Easter morning, the first person to make it to the tomb was a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. Now here's what we need to know and understand about Mary Magdalene. That prior to coming to Jesus, Mary Magdalene hadn't lived a very good life. The Bible records that she was a prostitute and, and, and she was demon-possessed. And not just possessed with like one demon, but like seven demons. Like this woman was messed, wait for it, up. That's Mary Magdalene. She, she, had, she was not your, just your, your typical, she, she wasn't wearing pastel. But Mary Magdalene had an encounter with the life of Jesus Christ. And she had been transformed by the power of Jesus. And it's interesting because when Jesus is crucified, you would think that this, this Mary Magdalene, having, having now left her reason for being, would think about or perhaps would consider going back to her old way of life. So when we read that Mary Magdalene was the first one to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday, it's a miracle. It's a miracle why? Because this woman, this, this ex-prostitute, this ex-demon-possessed woman named Mary Magdalene had been transformed by the power of Jesus. And if you're here today, listen, I want you to know something. I want you to know that the same power that is found in Jesus Christ is available to us today as well. Listen, maybe you look at your past, maybe you look at your life, and you go, Matt, you don't understand, bro. I got some serious hang-ups. I got some addiction things. I got some habits. I got some secrets in my closet that if anybody knew about, I would not be accepted. I would not be, listen, this is not my crowd. Maybe some of you have even said it today. You're like, someone invited you to church, and you're like, if I come in, man, this, their lightning's going to strike. I want you to know something. The same Jesus who had the ability and the power to transform Mary Magdalene's life has the power and the ability to transform your life and my life as well today. That's the power. That's the message of the resurrection. 
When you move to the book of Mark, you see a second, a second uh, ingredient, a second, a second thing that the resurrection, this awakening that happened on that first Easter Sunday can be in our life. And it's this. Number two is the resurrection represented a new start. It represented a new start because in Mark's gospel, when he, he looks at his camera angle on the resurrection, what Mark discovers, uh, he, he adds a little detail to it. I want you to see this. This is so interesting. Mark chapter 16, verse 6 says this. Take you back to the place where the women arrive at the tomb. The angel is there, and here's what the angel says. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? And then verse 7, I want you to see this. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Okay, what's going on? Why, why so specific? Why, why the detail here? Why, wasn't Peter a disciple? Yeah, he was. Well, then why not just say go and tell the disciples? Here's why. Because two days before this, when Jesus was being arrested in the garden, and matter of fact, if you back up even before that to the, to the communion table, when Jesus is around sharing the Last Supper with his disciples, in, that, in those moments around the table, Jesus makes a, a statement to Peter, and he says, Peter, listen, you're going to deny me tonight. And Peter's like, no, Lord, I promise I'm not. And Jesus is like, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. They have this little interchange, and Jesus says, yes, as a matter of fact, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. So they leave the, the Last Supper. They go out to the garden. The, the guys come in. They, they rush Jesus. They arrest him. And they lead him off to these trials. And as they take Jesus from one trial to the next, to the next, to the next, what happens is Peter begins to follow, the Bible records, from a distance. That, that Peter begins to separate himself from Jesus He's standing around a campfire, and, and there's this, this group of people that comes around, and they, they look at Peter, and they think they recognize him, and they say, aren't you with him? Speaking of Jesus, and Peter's like, no, I'm not. And somebody else a few minutes later says, no, I swear, I've seen you with him. No, I promise you, I'm not. And Peter denies him. And then this young girl looks and says, you even talk like him. And the Bible records that Peter actually cursed at the girl and said, no, I am not with Jesus. And in that moment, when Jesus needed his friends the most, Peter betrayed him. And when the rooster crowed on that Friday night, the Bible records that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He had failed. He had failed Jesus, when he needed him the most, Peter wasn't there. Peter had failed Jesus. And then to make matters worse, they actually crucified him. They actually killed Jesus. Imagine being Peter. Imagine the grief and the, the bitterness. And imagine the pain you would feel knowing that you were never able to reconcile with Jesus. So, on Sunday morning, when the awakening occurs, when the resurrection happens, God, when he sent his angel to give the message to the ladies, wanted to be very specific. I don't want you to just go and tell the disciples. You got to make sure you tell the disciples, oh yeah, and make sure you tell Peter. 
He's not too far gone. Make sure Peter knows no matter what he's done, no matter how far his heart has turned, no matter the distance that he thinks is between he and I, that he can be forgiven, that this can be his new start. And listen, I don't know what you've come in with today. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you look back over this winter season of your life and you feel like there's distance between you and God. I got good news. This is Easter, baby. This is Easter Sunday. This is Easter. And the resurrection represents, just as it did for Peter, it can represent in your life a fresh start, a new start. That's the reason Jesus came. That's the reason he died on the cross so that you and I could know what it is to be forgiven and to be brought near. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And I believe God would say the same thing to us today. There's room at the resurrection. There's room at the foot of the cross. There's room in this awakening for you and I, no matter how far we feel from God, to be brought near and accepted by him again. That's the message of the resurrection. Number three, if you're taking notes in your bullets, in the resurrection can become our permission to become something greater. That when we look into this story, when we begin to parallel Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts from four angles looking into the resurrection, and you move over to the book of John, you see the story through the author's eyes, John. And look at what it says in John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter. Notice the mention of Peter right there. And look at this. The other disciple. Uh, how should I describe myself as I'm writing this account? Um, let's see. There was Peter, and he was kind of a knucklehead. He was kind of the guy who always put his foot in his mouth. There was Peter, and he was always kind of, I mean, he was important to Jesus, but he kind of turned his back on him on Friday night. It was kind of an ugly deal. So, so the ladies came back. Can you see John writing this? And they, they went to Peter. And me. <laughs> He's like, and the other disciple, you know, the one that Jesus loved. I mean, the one that Jesus was like, you're my boy. You're my guy. You're the guy. Peter, he's all wishy-washy, turning his back, putting his foot in his back. John, Johnny boy. Johnny, Johnny la la ling lang. You're my man. Come on, John. Are you serious, dude? Are you serious? Whatever, whatever. It's his pride, not mine. So he came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. Look at this. But the other disciple <laughs> outran Peter. <laughs> you know, the one that Jesus loved. Yeah, I ain't got to be faster than the bear. I just got to be faster than you. <laughs> you know, it's like, what's he doing? Hey, John, you know we're going to read this stuff for like thousands of years, right? What are, you, are you serious? Do you regret that at all? That's a great question. It's a great question. John, come on. Really? But see, John wanted us to understand that in that resurrection moment, he got there first. Why the emphasis? Why the emphasis is recorded 
in the Bible. Here's why. Because when you go back three years before this, where Jesus has his first encounter with John, we find John in a fishing boat on a beach as a fisherman just like his dad. Some of us know the account. and Jesus comes to him and he says, John, I want to make it so that you no longer fish for fish. I want you to start fishing for men. And in that moment, three years prior to this, Jesus calls John up into the greatest adventure of his life. Jesus calls this young, uh, this young guy, John, up into this amazing adventure, this amazing ministry. He calls John up into the greatest destiny that a person could ever hope for or want. So when Jesus is crucified on that Friday night or that Saturday, when Jesus is crucified, there's John, young John, who just a few hours before had the world at his fingertips, destiny in hand, and now finds himself, what, in a state of confusion, in a state of where he's questioning everything, where he's going, well, am I just going to go, just go back to being a fisherman? Is this it? Jesus is gone? He, they, they, they killed him? Is this just going to be a three-year adventure in my life, just a good story? Now my destiny's gone. So when those ladies come running up to where Peter and John and the other disciples were gathered and they begin to share that Jesus was not there, that an angel had come to them and said he's alive, I think John couldn't help himself. I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. And Peter's like, I gotta go too. And they take off running for the tomb. And John goes running, and he goes flying past Peter. Why? Because destiny was at hand once again. All of a sudden, John knew, listen, I may not be resolved to just go back to a ho-hum, boring life. This destiny that Jesus had promised, this destiny that Jesus had allowed us to live for the last three years is still intact, baby. And so he couldn't help himself but go flying to the tomb. And here's what I want us to understand on this Easter morning. I want us to understand, listen, if you've been looking at your life thinking I'm nothing special, you've been looking at your life thinking it's never going to happen for me, you've been looking at your life going, I'm just a whatever, I'm just a blah, 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 just like John. Listen, I want you to know something. The resurrection of Jesus means that each and every one of us have a destiny to behold, that there is only one you, there's only one me, there's only one us that God has uniquely created and designed to make an impact for eternity in our neighborhoods, in our family, with our children, with our grandchildren in our workplace, in our school. Listen, there is a destiny that God has for you. And Easter Sunday, the resurrection, the awakening of our Lord on Easter Sunday represents that, that we can become something greater. Come on. That's good news. All right. But I want us to understand something this morning about the resurrection. Because yes, the resurrection can transform us. The resurrection represents a new start. The resurrection gives us the ability to become something greater. But I think the most important thing that we have to be able to grab a hold of this Easter morning 
is that the resurrection requires a willingness to surrender. Because as we study the resurrection, as we look at the resurrection of Jesus, this one reality begins to jump out. That in order for there to be a resurrection, there must first be a crucifixion. And herein lies the paradox of Christianity. That the more we lay down our life, the more we actually live. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, said it this way. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And that could be the greatest paradox in all of Christianity. That the greatest awakening of our life is as close as our willingness to surrender. That the way up is down. That the way out is in. The way to move away from winter is to embrace a willingness in our heart to surrender. See, it's possible that in the area of our life where we have yet to surrender, in that area, it is precisely possible that in that area, is the place where we have yet to experience an awakening. And so some of us have come in today looking at this, this winter season that we found ourselves in, come in today with, with relational challenges, financial challenges, whatever the case may be, emotional challenges that are upon us. Is it possible that in the areas where we've yet to surrender, those are the areas that our lives have yet to experience an awakening? And that if you and I will simply come and offer those areas to the Lord in all of our weakness and all of our frailty and all of our failure and say, God, I give it all to you, that when we are willing to surrender, he is willing to awaken us in the deepest places of our soul. The house we lived in for several years when we first moved here had a swimming pool. And about five or six years ago, when my kids were, were smaller, um, they would, they, they were learning to swim. And so we got those big, you know, life vest, foamy things, you know, that go around and strap on and all of that. And so we're like, come on, you know. And so I would get down into the pool. And I would be standing in the pool, and I would look at one of my boys, and and. I would say to them, come on, jump, I'll catch you. Jump, I'll catch you. And I can, I'll never forget the look on both of my boys, it happened to both of them, on their face where they were just like, <laughs> I mean, they were just like scared and they did not want to jump. And I'm like, no, it's okay, buddy. Daddy's right here. I'm going to catch you. It's going to be all, don't you want to swim? Well, then jump. 
And like they were like so scared and so small and, and so afraid of jumping. And I, I was like, do you not trust daddy? <laughs> well, go get your mom. <laughs> it's one of those things. And, and so I can remember the joy that came over my boys when they finally inched their way to the edge of the pool. And I said, come on, I'll catch you. I'm right here. We'll swim together. And they finally jumped. The joy that they felt, the the emotion that flooded them, the laughter that began to emerge. Why? Because they had finally come across the line of trust. Not trusting their own ability not trusting their own skills to swim, not even trusting their life vests that we had put on them. But when they finally came across the line of trusting their father, a whole new world opened up to them. And see, I believe that that is exactly the message of Easter. That the awakening God wants to bring to us is the same as the awakening that occurred when my children jumped into the arms of their heavenly father. Well, I wasn't heavenly, but you know what I'm saying. So here's my question for us. Do you need transformed? Is there some area of your life today needs to be transformed, some, some hidden habit, some addiction, some thing you've struggled with, struggled to be free with for years. The resurrection has the power to set you free today. Do you need a fresh start? Are, are, is there distance between you and God? Well, guess what? The resurrection has the ability to remove that distance and let you know that you're not too far gone, you're not disqualified. There's a fresh start available today, Easter Sunday, in the resurrection. Do you need permission to believe that your life is destined for something greater than maybe you presently see? That's the message of the resurrection. But it comes down to this. Are we willing to jump? Are we willing to surrender? Because you can't kind of jump into a swimming pool. It's all or nothing. And I believe that right now in this moment, the God of heaven, the risen Savior Jesus, is here today and he has his arms outstretched and he's saying to us, I have the most amazing life ever for you. I have the most incredible existence for you. I have the most amazing destiny for you. I have the the greatest measure of forgiveness and grace that you could ever imagine in your life was possible. I have all of that waiting for you. I just need you to jump into my arms. Are you willing to surrender? Are we willing to jump? So here's what I want us to do. Before the worship team and Pastor Scott come back, I want to take a moment right now and I want us to pray. 
So if we could, all across this room, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond on the outside to what God, you might be feeling God's doing on the inside of you. So if you're here today and that's you, you're at a place where you're going, Matt, I need to surrender. I want to surrender. I'm ready to jump. I need to be transformed. I need to be delivered. I need to be set free. I need to be healed. I want you to know that there's grace in the resurrection of Jesus. There's forgiveness of sin in the resurrection of Jesus. There's a fresh new start in the resurrection of Jesus. You can be forgiven today. If that's you and you're ready to jump, you're ready to surrender, this is your moment to jump into the arms of Christ. I'm going to count to three, and when I hit three, would you just throw your hand up right now? One, two, three. Just all across this room. Awesome. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Other hands, you'll just real quick, you can put them up, put it right back down. This is just an outward expression, an opportunity for you to just say, Jesus, that's me. I'm in. I surrender. I surrender. I need delivered from this winter season, and I want to step into a new life, a fresh start with Jesus. Are there others of you just right now? You can just slip your hand up right now. Don't miss this moment. God is here. This is your opportunity, thank you, to respond. If you need forgiven in any way, shape, or form, maybe you're a Christian, you're here today, and and you know that your salvation is secure, but man, you've just been messing up. You can be forgiven today. So Father, right now, across this room, I thank you that you're touching so many hearts. Lord, I pray for the one who is here today, who's been walking in this winter season, who who has felt distance between themselves and you. Father, right now I pray in Jesus' name that the blood of Jesus was poured out at the crucifixion of Christ. We begin to wash them clean. Lord, I thank you that your word says that when we confess our sin, when we acknowledge it, when we're willing to surrender, when we jump into the pool, you catch us, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And so, Father, we, we ask that you would forgive us right now. Lord, I pray for the one who's here today who's been struggling with a habit or with an addiction. And I pray in Jesus' name that freedom would come, that this would be their resurrection Sunday. This would be the day where you would break that sin off of their life. Father, I pray for the one who feels distant from you, that today would be the day where they feel drawn near to you. Lord, I pray for the one who's lost sight of their destiny, that today would be a day of awakening. And you would allow them to know in that still small voice, the way only you speak to our heart, that their destiny is secure, that it's still intact, that you have an amazing plan. And so, Father, right now, we thank you, God, for surrender. We thank you, God, that we have the ability to come to you that you're not like other gods little g gods that are just statues or idols or any of those other things you're the risen one you're the real god you're the reigning god you're the true god who makes himself real to us and the bible says when we draw near to you you do you will draw near to us and so father thank you for the way you've drawn near to us thank you god for the awakening of our soul you've accomplished today in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. In the resurrected name of Jesus we pray and ask. And all across this room everybody said, Amen.